and welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. I'm your host, Liam Edwards, and you're listening to the 22nd episode of the show. My guest today is a lovely freelancer who splits her time now between video games and cooking leftovers. On her video game resume, though, she was a staff writer for both the excellent official Nintendo magazine and official Xbox magazine. She also worked as a writer and presenter for Xbox UK on their Xbox On project. During these stints, she was also freelancing as well, having written and produced excellent work for publications such as PC Gamer, Rock Paper Shotgun, Edge, and Games Radar. Up until May of this year, you will have known her as one of the fresh young faces of GameSpot UK's video team, working on shows such as GameSpot of Thrones, In Two Minutes, and The Fallout 4 Show, alongside GameSpot's other video producers, Lucy James and Dave Jewett. Now she's a full-time freelancer splitting her time between the aforementioned video games and cooking, as well as being one half of the Toku podcast with previous Final Games guest Holly Nielsen. My guest today is the lovely and very funny Kate Gray. Hello, Kate. Hello. Hi. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. After that intro, I'm feeling pretty good about myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> excellent. Excellent. So, how... How have you been recently? You've changed to uh, freelancing. You are taking a deep plunge into full-time freelancing. How is that working out at the moment? Uh, the word I've been using most often is terrifying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if, if you've done a lot of, of freelancing, but it's sort of like, it's like a real job, but you have to get all the work yourself. So it's sort of like, I imagine it's it's the the writing equivalent of hunting your own food, which is probably more rewarding but really hard. That's a good explanation for it. Um, I have done a lot of freelancing in the past, but I've never been in a position where I've had to make it my full-time salary as much as I would like to, but it is too terrifying (laughs) for for me. Yeah, it's been fun. And I've done stuff outside of games, which I might not have done otherwise. So that's been nice. Yes, you've, you've been doing like cooking stuff as well, haven't you? I have. I've been doing cooking. I did a bit of travel, which is nice. Travel as well, Um, excellent. Yeah, travel's a lot uh, different to video games writing because people don't get as mad at you if you go <laughs> to other countries. <laughs> you gave Cambodia a bad rating. You're a, you're a terrible <laughs> reviewer. <laughs> the thing is, like, you, you can't give these places a bad rating unless they're completely awful because it's always just so nice. It's always, like, sunny and you're like, hey, this isn't London. Five stars. <laughs> it's always like Metacritic above 90 for all yeah. the sunny countries that you've visited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So is it sort of like you are trying to branch into other areas because you kind of maybe want to leave video games behind for a little bit? Or is this just to sort of pay the bills, keep up the um, workload? I don't want to leave video games behind, but I do find that I have to sort of temper my opinions a little bit because... Often if I write about something, um, if I'm angry about something or if I'm upset or even offended, that doesn't happen much, but sometimes then, you know, the backlash just isn't worth it. So I'm finding a lot of my opinions now either have to be the general consensus or they have to be, this thing is good. And, you know, in I, I'm a critic. I miss being mean about things. <laughs> so... I mean, I haven't really done that with travel, but in other writing, I could be like, this is terrible. Let's laugh at it. And I miss that in video games sometimes. It is very strange that video games seems to be, uh, there may be other pieces of media as well, like music and stuff that maybe bands would get angry at. But video games seems to be this very hard thing where you can't 
outright be a critic. You can't be slamming things left, right, and center because there is such these strong communities behind each maybe franchise or game that just get incredibly angry and not very nice. Yeah, that's the problem. Um, yeah, I mean, recently I wrote a review of something and I, when I write a review of things, I tend to go and look at what the community is like first. And I'm a little bit nervous about the community because they are very keen on this game and I was not. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Whereas the cheese community or the garlic bread community may be a little bit more safer <laughs> in terms well, of reviewing food. Sometimes. I mean, I've been making a lot of bread recently and, you know, I'll, I'll post pictures and someone will be like, oh, it looks like you didn't get enough of a rice there. And I'm just like, yeah, sorry. But they're, they're generally <laughs> nicer about it. They're not just like, you're a stupid you know, lots yeah. of swear words. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's only just, bread. Just, every, just the whole world is not very full of not very nice people who like to defend things, unfortunately. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but anyway, we are here to talk about video games and we are here to be positive because this is what this yeah. show is all about. It's about games that you've enjoyed and that you hold very dear that you would take with you to a virtual deserted place that you're going to be trapped forever, which does sound pretty mean. Uh, yes. <laughs> But, it, you right. know, there's not going to be anybody horrible to you for your critical reviews there. There's also not going to be anyone nice. Cause, that's, yeah. that's true. But you could you could develop, like, schizophrenia and, and create multiple nice people. Yeah, I mean, I could do that now if I wanted to. That's true. <laughs> but there are some nice people out there. So there's yes. there's no there's no there's not quite a need to do so yet. Yeah. Um, just before we move on, then, um, how are you finding? Because obviously, your recent work at Gamespot, you were doing a lot of video work, a lot of video mm-hmm. editing, presenting as well. How are you finding the change from almost daily video editing and obviously writing scripts and all that kind of stuff to now just full on writing? Um, preferable or are you, do you kind of miss it a little bit? Um. I do miss it. Uh, I'm planning to do some videos when I actually get all the kit I need. Um, I I really like both uh, for completely different reasons. It's not really that I compare them, really. Like, they're so different that they're not really comparable in that way. But um, I, I guess I do enjoy writing more. I come from a writing background. I was on magazines for a year. I loved it. And... I think that's easier for me Um, because when you're writing, even when you're writing something quite boring, like a page of news, you're still able to put jokes in there. But I found with video, sometimes I would be doing quite tedious work and it didn't really appeal to me in the same way. If I was doing a news video, I'd be like, ah, news again. God. (laughs) (laughs) EA have released more DLC for something that costs money. Uh, The same old sort of video game news because it is always the same video game news constantly. Yeah, Yeah, that's understandable. That's understandable. Yeah. (laughs) So, well, let's uh, start talking about the games you've chosen because the list you've chosen is very interesting. Four games I have played and I'm very interested to hear you talk about them, especially one game you've chosen for today. So why don't we jump into it today and uh, let's listen to some music. (laughs) 
Okay, okay. So the first game you've chosen to take with you to Deserted Island today is from a franchise, um, well, a spin-off of a very popular franchise that hasn't mm-hmm. been on the show before. Uh, it's really? a game developed... Yeah, well, this specific spin-off series has not been featured, but the main title series, there have been many games that have been on the show. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this game is developed by Intelligent Systems, who are the developers of games like Advance Wars and Fire Emblem. Uh, it's published by Nintendo. Uh, one of the producers was, of course, Shigeru Miyamoto. It's a GameCube game that released in July of 2004 in Japan, it's a role-playing game as well. It's Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door. Kate, yes. why is Paper Mario The Thousand Year Door the first game you're taking with you today? Um, oh, I have a lot of history with this game. I played it with my brother. Um, sometimes I played it when he wasn't around as well. But me and my brother played a lot of games together. He's, he's my younger brother, younger by nearly three years. And... Um, a lot of my gaming knowledge comes from playing stuff with him. So that's that's quite a nice connection first. Um, I recommend playing games with other people, even if they're single player. It makes it like a completely different experience. Yeah. Uh, secondly, um, okay, so I'm going to be honest. I don't really like Mario games that much. As a Nintendo journalist, that is basically sacrilege. And I'm very sorry. That is very strange. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, just I'm not into platforming. I don't think it's fun. I'm just checking that none of the games I've got on my list are platforming. They're not good. Okay. Because that would be really <laughs> hypocritical. Oh, God. Um, yeah, I just like jumping and whatever. It's, it's not fun. <laughs> um, the Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door is it's a 3D RPG. So there is jumping. There's even a little plat- bit, bit of platforming, but it's it's not bad. So <laughs> um, <clears throat> It's got this amazing sense of humor. Uh, which I can't really describe. It's sort of like Mario can't talk, um, but they still managed to have him be such a character. And he's so, Paper Mario is so different to regular Mario that they've yeah. actually had a game called Paper Jam where he's a different Mario to the to the main Mario. Yeah. And you can just tell the difference. He's like so much cuter and... <laughs> I just love him so much. He is like a chibi <laughs> version of Mario. He is. He's so cute. Um, and Paper Peach as well is adorable. Uh, she's actually one of those... Um, she's sort of like a self-rescuing heroine, which is amazing. Uh, that doesn't happen a lot in many Nintendo games, no. actually. But she sort of manages to get out of her cell because she's made of paper and she can slip through the bars, obviously. And why they have jail cells in a land where everyone's made of paper, but whatever. Um, and she goes and finds this big computer and the computer falls in love with her. It's, it's just so weird and so clever. And the Paper Mario games are full of that kind of stuff. Like in one of the later games, I think it's Super Paper Mario. There's this, I think he's called Francis. He's like a dinosaur. And he's one of the level's main bosses. But instead of fighting him, you have to answer his like super nerdy Nintendo quiz. And it's kind of like a a parody of, of really rabid Nintendo fans. And <laughs> that's why I love the Paper Mario games, because they're so self-referential and they're so knowing and they're made for the fans. And it's just wonderful. They're just such good games. Ugh. <laughs> it's very funny actually you say that because I've never really thought about it before but thinking about the developers of the game which are Intelligent Systems mm-hmm. uh, Intelligent Systems make games like Fire Emblem and Advance Wars which are games based all around individual characters 
Fire <laughs> Emblem is the strength of the Fire Emblem games is the fact that you get to know each individual character incredibly well and you start to care about them and that's what gets you emotionally invested in them potentially dying in battle and all that kind of stuff and the same happens with many of the advanced war characters as well um so maybe it's just something about intelligent systems that they just like to pour like character and personality into each of their characters to make it feel a little more mm, emotional than other nintendo games say which maybe are a little Mm. more you know, flat-faced in the way they yeah. present characters. Well, I think with with Thousand Year Door in particular, almost every chapter focuses on one of your your sort of helpers. Yeah. So you start off with a little Goomba called Goombella, and you're not used to working with Goombas, so you sort of learn why she wants to help you. Uh, later on, you you meet a ghost called Vivian, and the whole chapter is based on her sisters rejecting her and bullying her and her wanting to find someone who actually treats her nicely, and then you come along, and obviously Paper Mario is adorable, so there's that. Um, My favorite chapter is this one in this place called Glitzville, which is an incredible, like, just that on its own is an amazing game. You're used to RPGs, especially ones based on levels, being like, you've got to get from A to B, and there's a boss at the end. And instead, what the Glitzville chapter does is it enrolls you in like a wrestling group <laughs> and you have to wrestle your way to the top because once you reach the top, then the boss comes out because you're threatening him. Um, and so rather than being this this linear like level where you're going from A to B, you're actually repeating A again and again and again because you're in the same wrestling ring Yeah. Um, and you're just fighting people. And... You get to know this character whose name I've forgotten, but he's a little Yoshi. Um, actually, I think maybe you get to name him. You I get might to be na- wrong. You actually you get to name him. I'm right. Yes, um, and you can. I think you can change his color as well. I think I can't maybe. remember that. I know you get to name him. <laughs> I know you get to name him for sure. Yeah, um, and so he becomes like your battle partner. Although obviously you can switch him out for others um, while you're in this wrestling. Thing I don't I don't know what they're officially called Federation Corporation I don't know oh, I forget thing. it's been a long time since I played uh, Thousand Year Door yeah um, but it's just fantastic the whole level takes place in this basically group of three rooms um, and so instead of you going to the action the action happens around you and it's just such an amazing piece of level design and I really hope they do more stuff like that in the future. What I found amazing about Paper uh, Thousand Year Door uh, is that all of like the people who help Mario are traditionally bad. Yeah. Mario and like obviously you had Goombella, she's a, uh, a Goomba. You had Coops, who is a Koopa, and um, you had the the Shadow Spirit. Is it Vivian? She was like yeah. a, a ghost, and then you had like the Bomb Bomb, which is my favorite character, which is Admiral Bobbery which is oh, an immense great. name in its own. Um, and they're all like traditionally, you know, bad enemies in Mario games, but they're all helpers. It's not like Toad and Peach and Luigi and all that kind of thing, which is really good. And I thought it was really smart. Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, my favorite character is probably not a bad, like a, a usual enemy for Mario, but it's Miss Mouse. Um and when you're first introduced to her, she's just a thief and you're sort of walking around these levels and you'll go into a room and you'll be like, oh, there's a cool thing over there. 
and she'll hop in out of the window, take it and leave. And you're like, who is she? That, that <laughs> bitch. <laughs> and then, you know, later on, it's a, it's an optional side quest, but you can actually, you can get her to be your companion. Yeah. And she's maybe one of my favorite Nintendo characters of all time. She's like this really flirty mouse thief that's like, She's constantly calling Mario like all these pet names and it's just adorable. <laughs> um, but like you start off the game thinking that she's going to be like a boss or an adversary of some kind. And it just turns out that like she'll be a friend if you're nice to yeah. her. <laughs> and her little mask, her little red oh, mask yeah. is so cute as well. <laughs> I wish she'd come back for a new game. She's so good. So, speaking of new Paper Mario games then, obviously since then we've had like a Sticker Star, uh, we had the Mario and Luigi Paper Mario crossover, which was Paper Jam, and we're going to have Color Splash uh, at some point this year, probably going to be one of the final Nintendo Wii U games. How have you found the most recent ones? Because a lot of people have a lot of issues with the fact that they're maybe going a a bit too far away from the RPG side of Paper Mario, which was built upon... uh, the seven sacred stars of the super nintendo super mario game um how are you liking the new paper mario games and are you looking forward to color splash which is coming later this year (laughs) um so when i played sticker star i think it was when i first joined o&m and i'd read the o&m review i think and i was excited it was one of those games where i I got it on launch you know i I turned up but it wasn't a midnight launch it's not that big a game but you know i turned (laughs) up at a game or wherever and i was sort of like yes give me a copy of your finest sticker star full price please and (laughs) and then you know i got into it and i really liked the sticker gimmick at first it's there there are no faults with the design the look of the game like when you tilt your 3ds you can actually see the shine on the stickers move. It's so responsive and and thoughtful and lovely. But the actual sticker battle mechanic is pants. It's it's so like passive. That's the problem. Like you have to collect stickers to to use them in battle. So if you don't have the right sticker, sometimes you can be stuck in a battle and that's not fun. In no way is that fun. <laughs> yeah. Um and it's it's weird, this kind of idea that you have to use up a sticker in battle kind of makes you feel like your stickers are too precious to use, like some of the special ones that you get very rarely. Yeah. You won't use them. And yeah, again, I get what you mean. that's yeah. not fun. You don't want to be holding yourself back from having a fun battle because you might not be able to have a fun battle later. later. on, yeah. Yeah, so that really let the game down. Uh, I think it had a lot of really nice ideas. Um, the boss battles were really interesting and some of the music was stunning. Like I still listen to the, the Gooper blooper battle medley cause it's incredible. Um, <laughs> unfortunately the battle's terrible, but the music is great. Uh, it's this sort of like weird, sort. Of, I, I don't know what you would call it. It's like Spanish esque. It's kind of flamenco type. Kinda. Yeah, yeah. And the whole theme of the battle is that he's clapping along to the music. 
and you have to time everything right. And that's really clever, but it's a shame that you have to do it with the bloody stickers. With the stickers. Yeah. <laughs> so what about Color Splash then? Because obviously we saw a bit more of it at E3 this year, um, but mm-hmm. still a lot of people, well, the general Nintendo-loving public, are just not on board with it. They don't like the look mm-hmm. of it, which to some people on Twitter I've seen, especially some games writers who don't understand why it's getting such negative response. Yeah. What about yourself? It's because it looks like Sticker Star. Not in terms of like the actual design. It, it looks just like a Paper Mario game in design, but the battle mechanics are the same, except instead of stickers, you've got cards. And everything I just said about it not being fun, about having to limit yourself in battle, that applies to cards as well. Like I don't see why that's any different. And I'm a bit disappointed that they haven't taken on the main criticism of Sticker Star um, and actually done something about it. I think the color mechanic is maybe fun a little bit gimmicky perhaps but hey it's a paper mario game gimmicks are fine um i'm a little confused about the colors so uh, traditionally paper mario games are colorful right and color splash is colorful but in this weird kind of slightly desaturated way and i'm not sure if that's part of the whole color splash mechanic it's a bit weird uh, yeah i don't quite understand that myself really yeah it's gonna mm-hmm. be interesting to see especially with it being one of the last nintendo wii u games mm-hmm. um and it's being sort of sort of thrown out to the wild to die almost under yeah. the circumstances so maybe nintendo doesn't have much faith in it but only obviously only time will tell only time will yeah. tell <laughs> Okay, well, I think I think it's about time we moved on to your next game then, and okay, another Nintendo associated game, and yep. <laughs> a, another GameCube game as well. But it was also released on PlayStation Two. Uh, so let's listen to some music from the next game and dive straight into it. Okay, Kate, so before we move into talking about your next game, we have the part of the show where we sort of talk about the deserted place that you're going to be stuck in. Um, (laughs) Obviously, we don't want... I I don't want you to be too uncomfortable. We want you to be Mm -hmm. able to play these games that you've chosen. You just happen to be in a pretty shit situation where you can't leave. Um, Okay. (laughs) So we want to talk about, like, where you'd be stuck. And it has to be a place from video games. Uh, there are not going to be any NPC characters, no human type characters, but there will be monsters if oh. you choose a place with monsters. So, for example, when I spoke to Holly, your friend Holly, mm-hmm. uh, Holly chose the world of Okami. So Japan, the mystical, uh, okay. you know, Japan that's inspired in Okami. We've had yeah. places like the island from The Witness. Uh, Ooh. We had Andy Kelly from PC Gamer who chose the Nostromo of all places, the alien ship. Why? Oh my god! I know, I know. 
Um, cool. But yeah, so there are many different types. What a, uh, We've had also Outset Island from Wind Waker, which is a very beautiful place as well. Yeah. And um, what instantly comes to your mind when you think of like being trapped in a deserted island in a game? Um, I, I feel like someone's probably already said it, but I guess Skyloft. That's like the ultimate deserted island because it's in the sky. It's in the sky. That's true. No yeah. one has chosen Skyloft before. Yes. We've, we've okay. had Outset Island and we've had even uh, Kokihil Island from uh, Link's Awakening. Yeah. Uh, which was Mr. Samuel Roberts from PC Gamer. He chose Koholi Island from Link's Awakening with the big okay. windfish on the top. So that's yeah. kind of cool. But Skyloft <laughs> seems like a good place. Yeah, um, you literally, you, you can't sail away. You're in the sky. That's true. Groose won't be there to bully you either, so... Oh, that's a shame. He wouldn't bully me. I'm a girl. He'd be trying to come on to me. That's true. Probably. That's true. <laughs> Especially if you were the only two there. I don't think he'd be able to help himself at all. Yeah. He seems like that I'd type. probably I'd kick him off. Kick him off it. Yeah. <laughs> no bird to save him. <laughs> I think I think Skyloft's a good that's a good choice. No one's ever thought of that before, and I I don't think even I've thought of that. So that's a that's a really oh. good choice. So for the purpose of today's show, you are in Skyloft, currently playing Paper Mario of the Thousand Year Door, but now oh. it's time for a change and you need to do some chores, you need to do some farming. So the next game you've chosen <laughs> is also a yeah. GameCube game, but it was released for the PlayStation 2 as well. It's uh published by Natsume and Nintendo. It's developed actually by Victor Interactive Software. Um, it was for the GameCube. It's a farming sim. Uh, it was released in September of 2003. It's Harvest Moon, A Wonderful Life. Yep. Why is the <laughs> second game you're going to be playing in Skyloft Harvest Moon, A Wonderful Life, Kate? Uh, okay, so several reasons. Firstly, I love Harvest Moon uh, to bits. And I've never really been able to fully explain it um <laughs> i think it's just it's so relaxing and as someone who's like had anxiety all my life it's nice just to be able to do some repetitive chores and actually get something out of it that's quite nice um secondly it's, it's one of the longest games i know <laughs> <laughs> i think you can play it for 30 in-game years and the in-game years are very long uh i can't actually remember how long the days are but they're long they're quite long maybe like 20 minutes each and there's 30 days in a season and there's four seasons. So maths, lots of days, lots of time. Lots of just time, <laughs> lots of time. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> um, and there is an actual plot over the 30 years. I've never played it for 30 years or 30 in-game years because I have things to do. Um, but I've heard that if you get to the end, you know, you die and your family is all around you and then your son takes over the farm and it's all lovely and nice. Um, I probably played it for about three in-game years and even then it was sort of packed with things actually happening. Um, okay. I do like the more recent Harvest Moon games, but uh, they, they tend not to go too hard on plot. No, it's very much uh, more about the sort of mechanics, that kind of Minecraft, yeah. uh, Terraria-type yeah. bit. I haven't just, played those ones. Those just, ones like me- just like mechanic, <laughs> more mechanic-driven. Yeah, yeah, um, and like sometimes the plot is driven forward, but only by you doing things, not by just sort of people existing. So in Harvest Moon, A Wonderful Life, spoilers for a game that's like 15 years old that's okay uh 2003 but, i think it's i think yeah. it's okay for a harvest moon game <laughs> to be spoiled um so in at the end of the first year uh 
an old woman in the village dies. And <gasps> she's so <laughs> lovely. It's her and her husband live up on a little house on a little hill. Um, and you go and visit them and you give them fish. Uh, and then they like you. Uh, and you have all these like little cut scenes where she's just being cute and old and like she's proper like tiny old woman with a wrinkly little face and scrunched up tiny eyes. Um, and then at the end of the year, yeah, she she dies. And you then have to see her husband, who's a grumpy old man, but softened by her being there, just sort of like spend all his time sitting outside his house next to her grave. And it's so sad. So sad. This this is depressing. It, the, the game's yeah. called A Wonderful Life. What? <laughs> yeah, a lot of things are wonderful. You get married, you have children. That's nice. Yes. I suppose. Just, you know, old people die. It happens. That's that's very true. It is a part <laughs> of the circle of life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in, in the most latest Harvest Moon Knight game I've played, which I've already forgotten which one it is. Is it a new beginning? Maybe. Anyway, the new one. Maybe there's a newer one than that, actually. Well, the new ones are called Story of Seasons, aren't, uh, which is the same sort of series. It's, uh, is it that one? Have I been playing that one? I've forgotten. They're the, they're anyway. the 3DS ones that have been released <laughs> yeah. recently. They changed the okay, name from so Harvest Moon. It might have been that. Yeah, I think it is that one. Uh, anyway, at the end of the first year, uh, well, this woman's been, been teaching you how to run a farm. Okay. She takes a month to teach you how to run a farm. It's very tedious. Um, and at the end of the first year, she dies. But she dies to give you her farm so that you have more room to plant crops. So that's less of a sort of meaningful plot and more of a, sorry, am I in your way? Do you need to build a barn so you can get a horse? I'll just pop my clogs then. See yeah. you later. Whereas in Harvest Moon, uh, Wonderful Life, it's it, th- there's no real meaning to it. And i'm trying to sell the game by being like it's great because the old people die for no reason (laughs) and i like that um but yeah i just i think it's it's really interesting just to put that in a game and just be like yeah it happens it doesn't mean anything it means you can't give a fish anymore but yeah it's wonderful (laughs) (laughs) so the best the so the reason to take this game to a deserted <laughs> island, uh, not to play it for 30 years of farming and that kind of thing, but to just sort of watch old people die as you expand your farm um, business. Maybe I should sell it slightly differently. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, like I said, the, the great thing about Harvest Moon is that it's sort of it borders on the edge of tedium. It does. But... It definitely straddles that line. Yeah. And if you're easily bored, then... For you, it probably will be tedious. But for me, it's like this lovely, reassuring repetition of just just chores that don't do anything in the short term. So <clears throat> you'll plant turnips and well, first you'll till the field and then you'll plant the turnips and then you'll water the turnips and then you'll water them again and, and so on for like 10 days. And only after that 10 days do you actually get anything out of it. Um, and every day you have to like, brush your cows you have to talk to your cows you have to feed your cows and they're slow so slow to gain affection that you don't actually start reaping the rewards for like a couple of in-game months and I can't really explain why that's nice it's just sort of really satisfying to to see progress in a slow way where games usually are about instant gratification you know they're about shooting someone in the head and blood comes out um 
and sometimes shooting someone in the balls and blood comes out and <laughs> all these kind of things and even in things like Dragon Age, which I love, sometimes people will fall in love with you when you flirt with them one time. That's not how it works. Um, you know, it's always about just like, I need the thing, I need it now. And even in 80-hour games, you still get that happening. You still get, you know, things just being good for you all the time. Whereas in Harvest Moon, you mess up one day and then, you know, you have to start again. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a, it's a testament to the Harvest Moon series because it has such a large following of people and this hardcore base of players who swear by how good the Harvest Moon games can be. But yeah. it does sort of straddle that line of tedium and sometimes <laughs> you're just like, I wish my turnips would uh, just grow a little faster. Just please, yeah. just grow a little faster. Um <laughs> But yeah, obviously now there are lots of, you know, one of this year this year's biggest like indie hits was Stardew Valley. Yeah. And uh, last time, in fact, when I spoke to Holly, we spoke mm-hmm. about a Harvest Moon game. She chose Friends of Mineral Town. Um, yeah, that's one of the ones I haven't played. She loves it. Yeah. So she's <laughs> uh, so we spoke at that time about Stardew Valley because Stardew Valley had been released, I think, that week when yeah. I was talking to her. Um, have you played Stardew Valley? Is that sort of giving you the same repetitious satisfaction that you look for in a Harvest Moon game? Uh, okay, totally honest. Haven't played it. Um, <laughs> I've heard it's coming to console, so I might finally get a chance to find out what all the hype is about. But yeah, I mean, I have a Chromebook. I can't play games on a Chromebook. <laughs> it just doesn't let me. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of behind on PC games, which is usually not an issue until it's something like that where it's pc only and it's something i would actually play yes but hey i I don't mind it's fine everything comes to console (laughs) that's true luckily last week at e3 um concerned ape the guy who develops uh, stardew valley did announce that it was coming i think it's playstation 4 xbox one and also the wii u so yeah there you go you'll get a chance to play yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that also will so the first two games you've chosen for your list today are definitely going to be two of the Wii U's uh, final yes. games which Exciting. is <laughs> <laughs> very Aww. interesting so I think it's about time we move on to your next game as well now so we know you're going to be in Skyloft playing Paper Mario mm-hmm. and Harvest Moon um, so let's listen to music from the next game and talk about that So, Kate, the next game on your list today is a visual novel. 
type of game, but not yeah. the not the visual novels people think of. I think immediately when I say that kind of thing, it's a very famous series now and features a very uh, iconic character in gaming now. But you've chosen the game in the series that doesn't really feature him very much, and it fe- actually features his um, protege or sidekick almost. Uh, the game you chose today is a visual novel by Capcom. Uh, it's in a very long-running series now that has, I think, almost 12 games in this series, which is incredible for the type mm. of game it is. This game was released for the Nintendo DS, and it was originally released in 2007 in Japan, and then in 2008 for the West. It's Apollo Justice Ace Attorney, and it's an Ace yes. Attorney game that doesn't really feature the Ace Attorney himself, Phoenix right? and instead, Apollo Justice. Kate, why Apollo Justice Ace Attorney? So I've had this argument with uh, Matthew Castle, ex-editor of Official Nintendo Magazine and my former boss. <laughs> and, also, <laughs> and also, surprisingly, a fan of the show. <laughs> oh, good. So he'll, he'll hear me talking about all these terrible games that he disagrees with me about. That's good. <laughs> so, okay. Um, I love the Ace Attorney series. Yeah. I have played all of them except the ones they refuse to translate, um, which I think is only two games currently i'm actually it's... trying to butcher my way through one of those at the moment really yeah the, okay the the most recent back in time oh the one with sherlock is yes. sherlock a girl in it or something is that... i forget am i remembering that right <laughs> yes yeah, so i'm I not very far because my japanese is abysmal so <laughs> yeah they, they have apparently fan translations but uh yeah <laughs> So I played I played the first three games out of order, which is important because if you play the second one, they make a big deal out of his sidekick Mia being dead. Yes. And coming back as a ghost all the time. And then if you play the first one after the second one and she's alive and you're like, oh, I think I've just spoiled this for myself. Uh, so she dies in the second case and you're like yeah good okay i knew that was going to happen <laughs> bit bit sad but sure and then i played the third one um and i think maybe that has something to do with me not being as keen on the first three i still love them one of my favorite characters in the ace attorney series is dahlia hawthorne who if you've played ace attorney is a total cow um <laughs> she's <laughs> She's this like sweet as sugar sort of, um, oh, I don't know. She's like a redhead girl. She's got these butterflies. She's got a little lace parasol and she's like, oh, I would never hurt a fly. And then you find out that she would hurt a fly. She would murder a fly if she could. Um, and she's great. But Apollo Justice Ace Attorney is the best one and I can prove it. <laughs> Okay, so please go ahead and try and prove it. <laughs> so I think it's got one of the best cases. Uh, maybe just because I'm a fan of gimmicks. Um, it's this one about... it's Well, it's sort of like a case that spans the entire game about um, this singer called La Miroir, or however the hell you pronounce that. Um, and she's sort of this mysterious kind of veiled character and they manage to portray the fact that she's mysterious because she always like fades in whenever her character appears. Okay. Everyone else just appears, but she's like, ooh, I'm here now, and all this music starts playing. Um, and her, her murder case is about a, a pop concert that she's done where all this weird stuff happened while she was on stage. And you have to figure it out piece by piece. 
by like rewinding and fast forwarding and pausing this tape of the concert. And despite the fact that it's all this really, you know, like um, DS music isn't very advanced, but they managed to portray this lovely, lovely song that she's singing just by all the beepy boopy noises. That... <laughs> I'm sure there's an actual term for that, but I'm not good at video game music. So beepy boopy mu- music it is. Um, and and then it sort of unfolds with the final case, which I think is a beautiful piece of game writing, um, where it sort of takes place in the past and present through some weird, magical, I don't really know how they explain it, but basically you can see into the past which is okay sure um and it's about this this guy who died and it's about this magician and at first it seems like an unconnected case but then it sort of all ties into the lam- the lamewa stuff and it's all very clever and there's all these beautiful twists in it because it's past and present and i can't really tell you any more than that cuz cuz i think everyone should go and play it but oh it's just so good so good <laughs> <laughs> So how do you like, obviously Phoenix Wright is this very iconic character now and he's mm-hmm. even featuring in other games like Marvel vs. Yeah. Capcom and that kind of stuff. And he, you know, he's iconic blue suit, and which is great. How Like Apollo Justice has sort of come into his own now, especially with Dual Destinies. I think he, oh, yeah. I think he was great in Dual Destinies. I think that's actually personally my favorite of the whole series. I really like really? that game. Cool. Yeah, I really like that game. Um, it's good. But... In Apologize, he's kind of a bit of a dweeb, I think. He is. I don't really <laughs> like him as a character that much. I I just think um, the stories are great. And seeing Phoenix Wright as a as a character, as as a defendant, is really interesting. You see him in, uh, is it two or three, where the whole Dahlia Hawthorne thing, he's connected with that, but he's a dweeb then. Yes. Um, and seeing him in Apollo Justice where he's older and he's sort of sexy. Um, he's got like a beard and a hat and you're like, goodness me. Okay, hello. <laughs> oh, Phoenix. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he's gone from being the guy in the Ace Attorney games where he's sort of inexperienced and, let's yeah. be honest, really lucky. A lot of He's very cases, lucky. <laughs> he's just like stabbing in the dark. And then the judge is like, oh, that's a good point, actually. And you're like, come on. Oh, my God. Okay. And he's like, yeah, undefeated. Phoenix Wright. And you're like, mm, okay. I mean, sure. Um, and then seeing, uh, him in, in Apollo, <laughs> yeah, seeing him in Apollo Justice where he's sort of like a disgraced lawyer and you don't really know what's going on. And he's sort of like he drinks and he gambles. And he's very enigmatic, and I really like that because you've gone from knowing everything inside his head to not knowing what's going on, and he's sort of constantly being like, "Oh, you'll find out, you'll you'll see," you know. You've just got to look at the evidence, and you're like, "God's sake, why can't you help me? Your mentor came back from the dead to help you, and you can't even give me a hint." <laughs> okay, God damn, tell me. <laughs> it's <laughs> I, frustrating. I, yeah, I like that change in character, and like I said. He is quite sexy in the game. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll believe you. He is. Yeah. <laughs> I, his hair is cool anyway. I find yes. his hair incredibly cool. Just his yeah. overall demeanor as as the series goes on, he does get 
exponentially cooler. He does, <laughs> just like Apollo Justice, start out as a incredibly dweeby, cowardly, yeah. <clears throat> and definitely lucky character. But yeah. it's very interesting that you chose Apollo Justice because one of the games I like that no one else really likes is the Miles Edgeworth game. I love the Miles Edgeworth game. Edgeworth is the best. <laughs> he's he's awesome when you get to be him. He's terrible yeah. when you have to face him. Um, he's so grumpy. But that's actually the first Phoenix Wright game I ever played. Really? Yes. I, I was working a game and I had not played any of the Phoenix Wright games. I always wanted to, but I never really got into it. I don't know why. Um, and they allowed me to borrow... One because I was like, I want to try this. I want to try it. So I was allowed to borrow it over the weekend once, and I just mm. sat through and I played through the whole Miles Edgeworth game, and I loved it. I thought it was amazing, just the way the systems worked, the way you're interrogating people yeah. and that kind of stuff. I loved it, and then so then I went back and I played from Phoenix Wright: Ace Attorney, Justice for All, Trials of Tribulation, and then all the way through. Yeah, it was great. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> just such a great series and such it a is. great cast of characters, and yeah. love it. <laughs> I'm so glad someone finally chose, although a very interesting choice from the series, I'm finally glad someone chose an Ace Attorney game for Final Game. Oh, am I the first? Yes. You are indeed. You are indeed. Cool. First Paper Mario game, first Ace Attorney game as well. Oh, well, I guess people don't really pick the weird Nintendo games, huh? It's very <laughs> difficult because when you think about having to take games to a deserted island to play forever... Mm -hmm. Games such as a visual novel like Ace Attorney, which is yeah. kind of like a one playthrough kind of game, they sometimes have <laughs> maybe yeah. conversations that can play out a little differently or different paths that you can go on, but very yeah. restricted, very linear, and always the same outcomes. So maybe you don't <laughs> want to be playing that over and over again while you. I've got seven other games to play in between. That's true. That's true. It depends on how you, how long you're planning on staying alive in this deserted island. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because you could get through all eight technically in a year and then be trapped <laughs> for the, the remaining, yeah. whatever, 60, 70 years <laughs> if you look after yourself. <laughs> well, I think it's about time we move on to your next game then, um, which is a game that I think is just as controversial a game in this series. Uh, it's based on not as much, I think maybe even more, sorry, than Apollo Justice. So let's listen to some music from the next game and dive in and talk about it. So before we were recording today, Kate, we spoke uh, a few times over email about your list and about uh, this choice specifically and how we both agreed it's a good game, whereas <laughs> others 
maybe don't agree so much. Uh, the game you've chosen is from a very popular Nintendo series, and especially, I think, e- maybe the hype at the moment because of E3, which is The Legend of Zelda. Uh, this game, however, is a Nintendo DS game, one of the two Nintendo DS games for the Zelda series. Uh, it was originally released in 2007. It was developed by Nintendo's EAD team and produced by Aonuma, like all Zelda games. This game is the Phantom Hourglass. Now, yeah. Kate, <laughs> you and me are both in agreement that we both like this game, but I guess a lot of people do not. <laughs> yeah. So, Kate, um, why are you choosing the Phantom Hourglass to take with you? I don't really know. Uh, so, <laughs> I love basically all Zelda games except Twilight Princess, which I never really got on board with. Maybe I need to play again. Um, but Phantom Hourglass is the one where I traded in all my games when I was at uni so that I could afford more games. So I'd play a game, I'd complete it, I'd trade it in and get a new one. Yeah. But Phantom Hourglass was the only one where as I handed it over, I felt this huge pang of loss. I was like, no, what have I done? Why have I done this? Um, And I I don't really know why. I just think it's one of those Zelda games that introduces all these concepts that I don't know why they haven't used in in other Zelda games. Um, One of the most remarkable ones is that you can draw on the map, which why doesn't everyone let you do that? It's a great idea, especially with the Nintendo handhelds where you have a stylus, you can draw on things. Um, It's really useful. And a lot of the puzzle mechanics in the dungeons actually depend on you drawing on the map. It's great. Um, You can actually be like, oh, uh, if you step here, this floor tile will fall through and you'll go to the floor below. Don't do that. Um, And yeah, you can just do loads of stuff like that. It's such a simple but really useful idea. And I would have loved if Link Between Worlds had done that. And I was actually very disappointed that it didn't. Though I did like Link Between Worlds, just to clarify. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So Phantom Hourglass is like a mini portable Wind Waker, kind of. Um, You can sort of sail around. That's quite nice. Uh, You've got a little cannon on your boat. You've got a little treasure thing that you can dredge up treasure. I think Wind Waker has that as well. Um, I think the main thing that people hate about Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks is the central dungeon. Yes. Which is an interesting concept. Maybe not done too well. I think the problem with Phantom Hourglass's one is obviously it's on a timer. And I don't, Ugh. I overall don't think timers work in video games very well mm-hmm. at all. Um, no yeah. one likes to be pressured into trying to finish something within a time limit, especially if it takes a long time. And yeah. not only does Phantom Hourglass do that once, it does it. Multiple times. Every time you finish a dungeon, you have to go back to this one dungeon yep. and do it again. And it gets harder and it gets more difficult yeah. and it gets more frustrating. And although everything around Phantom Hourglass, the, all the different temples, which is great and sailing the sea and mm-hmm. it, it's amazing. Um, yeah. That one part is extremely difficult yeah. to overcome. And I think and that's especially- one of the main things. The guardians that that live in that um, recurring dungeon yeah. can die in a hole for all I care. Yes. Um, it's it's a combination of both timers and stealth, two of my least favorite game mechanics, and <laughs> being terrified. So if a guardian spots you, everything goes red and it starts to be like, bwah, 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 yeah. bwah, and you have to run and hide. 
And I don't like that. Like the amount of near heart attacks I had because of that <laughs> stupid mechanic. Um, but, you know, <laughs> but it felt like when you actually completed a dungeon, you felt pretty good because you were like, well, I'm not going to have to do that again for a while. Yeah. Um, and other dungeons know, is... felt like a relief, like, uh, yeah, yay, something else to do for once. <laughs> and I did think that it was a nice touch in Phantom Hourglass that when you go back with a new item or something else, you can create shortcuts. So you can yeah. skip a couple of floors or you can get past the guardians quite easily or you can stun them, I think, eventually. Um, and that's, I'm glad they did that because otherwise I probably wouldn't like this game as much as I do. Yeah. It's really funny that it's, I think it's now universally disliked by many who like Zelda, but at the time, mm. I remember the review scores for it were huge. It like, it was like nine out of 10, five, like five out of five. I think some places even give it like 10 out of 10, which is incredible. Um, yeah. Because at the time the game was it was it was like having Wind Waker on a handheld, yeah. same art style, same you know exploring the sea on your little ship, and and what it did <laughs> with the stylus being able to move and draw pathways for Link to run and that kind of stuff was amazing. It was excellent. Yeah, and it was like having this big thirty-hour Zelda adventure on a little handheld. Yeah, oh, obviously it did have its bad points. Like yeah. the central dungeon was it's well designed. It's just irritating and. The actual, I think the last boss battle is a boat, and yeah, that's not fun. <laughs> yeah, you want your boss battles to be Link versus someone, yeah, not not Link in a boat versus Ganon. a boat. Yeah, yeah. Um, Spirit Tracks did that even worse. You had to fight a train. It's funny, oh. actually. Speaking of hating Phantom Hourglass, <laughs> I actually I do not like Spirit Tracks at all. I hate Spirit Tracks. <laughs> I've got loads of stick for hating it because apparently it's really good, but no, it's this it's irritating, not. linear, boring train. I adventure. do not care what people say. Like Spirit Tracks is not better than Phantom Hourglass. Yeah. It just categorically is not. <laughs> Link is a train driver. Say, whatever. Like, like no. <laughs> so, One of the best things about Phantom Hourglass is the secrets you can find in the sea. And for a game that's like small enough to be on a handheld, there are loads of secrets, little islands that you can find that aren't yeah. on the map. Um, but with spirit tracks you know where the secrets are there's only one train track so you'll be on the train and then you'll be like hey there's a secret station on this train track that i can't leave what a weird coincidence that's stupid <laughs> so <sighs> obviously phantom hourglass was sort of it it just made it as the choice you were taking with you um obviously you do love most elder games apart from twilight princess um if mm -hmm. you weren't going to take phantom hourglass though what was going to make it to the deserted island instead oh god um i don't know uh i know everyone chooses ocarina of time uh and i had a period in my life like everyone else i'm sure where i was like oh if everyone likes it then i don't Ooh, I'm so different. But people love it for a reason. Ocarina of Time is incredible. Yes. Um, same thing with Majora's Mask. Maybe even more so because it's so much more... It's so much weirder than Ocarina of Time. And they developed it in like just 18 months. Yeah, using straight all after of, Ocarina of Time. Yeah, they're, they're reusing all the assets, but they're doing it in this creepy way where it's all this stuff you recognize from Ocarina of Time, but like somehow warped. subverted. Yeah. It's so good. Um and then Skyward Sword is incredible. Um, I know a lot of people don't like Skyward Sword. And I have to admit, 
I uh, I really hate the the motion control where you have to like slice in a certain direction. <laughs> I think it's kind of funny stupid. to talk about Skyward Sword and Phantom Hourglass, both games that sort of have this gimmick that maybe yeah. falls flat for a lot of people, like the dungeon yeah. uh, that you have to return to. And Skyward Sword, I really like Skyward Sword, and I want mm. to love it, but I do not. I still remember trying to do it in my small, tiny uni living room, <laughs> which is yeah. having to recalibrate the motion controls almost every 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And for as much as I thought Skyward Sword was beautiful, it had great music, it had great artwork, Skyloft was really cool. Um, real world application of having to recalibrate the motion controls. Although I liked the motion controls because uh, I had the special edition golden Wii oh, remote yeah. that had the the one to one controls in it, um. So the, the slashing worked. It felt like it worked. It felt like wherever you slash, Link would slash as well. Uh, in yeah. comparison to Twilight Princess, which was you just waggle the remote back and forth, and <laughs> Link flails his sword yeah. around. Um, but because of that, having to recalibrate all the time and completely mm-hmm. taking me out of my Zelda immersion. And Zelda yeah. is a game that you get immersed in. It's a series famous for immersing people in this world. I just <sighs> I yeah, would love. It, it doesn't suit the Wiimote. I don't. Yeah, think. no. I would. I, I would love a HD remake of that game without motion controls. Yeah, <laughs> maybe it won't happen. But maybe like ten years. Maybe that'd be nice. That would be um, nice. It's a lovely looking game, though. That's the thing. Like, yeah, it is. I can forgive it because just the water level or area, whatever you want to call it, is so lovely. And <laughs> the idea that the, the forest area becomes a water area when it floods is such a Nintendo, such a Zelda idea that it's like, oh, repurposing it. Yeah. <laughs> so good. <sighs> well, we are coming off the back of E3 now and we have seen what the new Zelda is going to be, which yes. is the lovely titles. I still think... It's one of my favorite Zelda subnames ever, Breath of the Wild. Um, yeah. How did you like the look of the new open world Zelda? I am, uh, I'm incredibly confused by it. Um, it looks lovely. It really does. Uh, I have been sitting watching every stream, every trailer with my <laughs> housemate, and doing what I used to do on O and M, which is just picking it to pieces. Yeah. Being like, "Hey, did you see that? Do you think this means this?" And like, yeah. <laughs> we've we've found out that those like inactive robots, the, the ones with the arms, yeah. yeah. Um, so they're definitely Sheikah because they've got the eye on them. And in the in the first trailer we saw, you know, they're attacking Link, and you know, does that mean that something's gone horribly wrong and somehow they've been frozen mid-attack? So some kind of magic has happened to stop them all in their tracks. Yeah. And we know that Link's going to wake them up somehow. And I would love to see how that works. But I've also been told, because it's this incredibly open-world experience, you can run straight to the boss if you want to. So I'm I'm a little bit confused about how this completely non-linear Zelda experience is going to have a linear story and I want to follow the linear story and I don't want to accidentally stumble upon something that should come later. Yeah. So if you do end up waking up these guardians, like what if you do it, you know, 15 minutes into the game? What if you do it 20 hours into the game? Is that going to make a difference? 
So mm. I'm a bit I'm a bit wary, if I'm honest. <laughs> I understand. I can understand where you're coming from. It seems like people who stumbled across the uh, Awoken Guardians um, were having a tough time. Like the Guardians were really, really fucking tough. (laughs) I don't think (laughs) anyone beat them because like one hit from their laser, which is completely locked on to Link unless he's behind something. Um, So they feel they definitely seem like they're going to be something that you're not going to be able to take on until later in the game which probably apart from very 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 smart or very talented players i don't think you're going to be they say that you'll be able to get to the final boss Mm. that's if you were like invincible maybe oh this is this is going to be people streaming yeah oh my god naked link boss in 15 minutes yeah exactly like rolling (laughs) and dodging at every pixel perfect frame then yeah. the type of people who are going to maybe be able to reach the end of the game before you should, yeah. really. But I think for normal players, I think <laughs> you're going to be unable to pass Guardians and stuff. Uh, I think does it's that very mean interesting. that Link's going to like level up, or do you think it's all you know normal Zelda stuff where it depends on the strength of your weapon? I think it's going to be strength of the weapon because you can constantly Ugh. pick up weapons and and yeah. the. the and one of the one of the things that Nintendo's uh, are obviously known for is when they want you to know something, they immediately mm-hmm. show it, and and they yeah. they give you information they feel like is extremely relevant to what you're doing. So yeah, with what I noticed is every time you picked up a weapon, it would instantly mm-hmm. tell you how much better that weapon is than the weapon you're currently holding. Okay. So it would have like a number, so like four, and then it would you pick up like a new soldier sword or something, and it'd be like eight. And it would okay. be immediately telling you how much better that weapon is. So I yeah. feel like weapons and uh, constantly recycling and using different ones because yeah. they all break. They all and they all break really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be vi- <laughs> like really important, but I don't know yeah. exactly how yet. But I have to be honest, I'm not thrilled by the concept of having a weapon deterioration. I think it's a bit of a silly forced mechanic yes swords I don't agree. break that easily and how does that tie into the master sword is the master sword just it doesn't break what's the point in having weapons if you have the master sword i just you know I'm well what confused. we've seen of the master sword so far is that the master sword is all rusty and mm-hmm. obviously not been used for a while so maybe it is that you are building up to a point that you then finally get this indestructible sword um that yeah. has been laying dormant for years and then at the end of the day I trust Nintendo enough to yeah. <laughs> to make to do something that makes sense of it all, but it's yeah. in, it's intriguing to sort of. Uh, I think it'll be great. Theorize. Yeah. <laughs> well, what I've been doing recently is, and as much as NeoGaf can be a horrible place sometimes, it's, it can be a very interesting place as well. Yeah. Um. A lot of people have been theorizing about when in the timeline yeah, this game takes too. place, mm-hmm. and a lot of people are speaking of like timeline, like convergence, where this is like the where all timelines lead to and that the current link because he wakes up in like a resurrection chamber yeah is is a link from a previous game okay so maybe obviously he's not the same looking as the wind waker link but yeah it it seems like he's from that time and everything's sort of i don't know but it's very very interesting to to see <laughs> it's going to be great. Yes. I trust Nintendo. <laughs> I trust I trust them to do it. And I feel like the open world thing, although I think they'll take some liberties 
with it not being as open as we see in games like The Witcher or Skyrim. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I still think they'll have their own sort of Nintendo spin upon it. Yeah. <laughs> I want to play it. I really want to. Me too. <laughs> I'm hoping, because I'm going to Tokyo Game Show this year, I'm hoping. Ooh. I'm hoping that they will have the Zelda demo there, but I, I doubt it. Really? I doubt it. Nintendo aren't known for showing too much at Tokyo Game Show, which is odd. Oh, yeah. Um, but maybe this year, because they want to get Japanese players involved a lot more. Well, I hope for your sake they do, because Thank you. I, I will it. be very jealous. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, we have to wait till next March, which is a very yeah. long, long wait. Yes. Long wait. <laughs> but I think we've spoken enough about Zelda to last until next March. So I think it's about time we move on to your next game, which also happens to be another Nintendo game. And very much in the same vein as Harvest Moon, a game that you could potentially play forever, repetitiously. Yeah. So let's listen to some music. <laughs> game on your list today kate is another sort of repetitious game and uh, a game that you could potentially play forever it's actually a game that's also featured on people's lists on this show quite a few times now surprisingly oh. yeah and um <laughs> it's developed by nintendo ead uh <clears throat> it's in the very famous animal crossing series it released in 2012 in japan and then later a few months later in 2013 here in europe and in North America as well. It's the life simulation video game for the 3DS that is Animal Crossing New Leaf. Kate, yes. please tell me why you're taking Animal Crossing New Leaf with you to Skyloft. So <clears throat> I, I've basically nearly completed it um, and I stopped playing it because I'd, I'd got all the fish, I'd got all the, the bugs and I'd paid off my mortgage. And I was like, well, this was fun. Uh, I think I'm done. But that was 250 hours that I put into this. <laughs> so I have never played a game on handheld for that long. And honestly, I don't even know how I did it. I don't remember spending 250 hours on it. Do you look so down at your hands and they're just locked into a gripped position? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it was mostly while I was unemployed before I worked on O&M. Um, so, you know, I had all day to play games, eight hours a day of games, and that quickly adds up to 250. Um, sadly, I, I missed out on writing about it for O&M because uh, I wasn't there, obviously. Yeah. But, you know, all these features they were doing, I've read them since, and, you know, it's like a diary of weird stuff that happens in the Animal Crossing world, and, like, I'm sad that I didn't get to join in with that because I love Animal Crossing. Um, and New Leaf 
I mean, you can tell by the fact I've played 250 hours. <laughs> it is, you can play it for a long time. And like you say, it's like Harvest Moon. You're sort of doing repetitive stuff every day. Like, you know, you wake up and you go and shake every tree. And I had a lot of trees. <laughs> I made my town look beautiful. It was covered in trees. I had every fruit as well. So I'm shaking all the trees. I'm getting the furniture. I'm getting bees. There's always bees. And I'm getting all the fruit. And then I'm going straight to the place. I'm selling it all. And I'm repeating it um, until I have I have so much money in, in Animal Crossing. Um, <laughs> like more money than you need once you've paid off your mortgage. You're just like, right, what now? Um, I had themed rooms in my house. Uh, I have... The main room, which is sort of like a lovely living room with a little gramophone playing in it. I've got a bathroom. You yeah. can't use it. <laughs> I've got this adorable Japanese style tea room on one side, which no one ever comes to because it's my house. Uh, and then I've got this sort of um, a bedroom downstairs with all these really terrifying statues in it. So, <laughs> so like I made everything perfect and it took me 250 hours and if I was on Skyloft, uh, I'd probably just start again. Why not? And you'd be okay with spending another 250 hours on the 3DS, making uh, random rooms again? Yeah, I'd probably do it differently. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I think, I think I'd be all right with it. Uh, I mean, if I'm on my own, I don't really have anything else to do. <laughs> well, th this would be... Because the games you've chosen so far have, like character interaction quite mm -hmm. a bit uh yeah. but in a very static kind of way like paper mario very static and maybe harvest moon is a little different but i think the game at the time obviously is stuck to the limitations of the technology whereas with animal crossing although they're anthropomorphic animals you know they have a lot of characteristics and the stuff that you do affects them and how they talk to you yeah. this is going to be like your only sort of human interaction <laughs> To well, maybe maybe bait away the uh, mental craziness that will happen while you're trapped on an island by yourself. Uh, I think I'm okay with that. Um, I mean, one of my objectives that I actually didn't get to meet in Animal Crossing, despite all the time I put into it, is there's a squirrel who I think is called Marshall, and I wanted him in my in my village. And so I was like trying to get rid of all the irritating inhabitants. And every time someone cute came to stay, I was like, hey, you want to live here maybe? And they were like, oh, maybe, maybe not. Um, and I, I never got, is his name Marshall? I don't know. He's an adorable squirrel. And <laughs> he's my favorite. Um, and so I would, I would devote myself to doing that. I would try and chase away all the irritating villagers. And I would try and get Marshall. And once I did... I don't know, I'd jump off the edge of Skyloft, I guess. <laughs> that's it. After the 250 yeah. hours of Animal Crossing. Yep. That's it. It's done. Everything <laughs> I wanted to achieve, I've achieved. <laughs> well, there are, there are a few more games. Well, there's maybe one more game in this list, I think, that you could maybe put 250 hours in to see everything, and then I think your mission is complete. Mm -hmm. But we'll get to that a bit later. <laughs> so before that, we're going to talk about another game that has anthropomorphic piñatas. So yes. let's listen to some music <laughs> from the next game and dive straight into it. Mm -hmm. 
So the next game on your list today, Kate, that you're going to be taking with you to Skyloft is a very strange rare game that came, sort of came out of nowhere. Um, it was one of the early Xbox 360 titles developed by Rare and published by Microsoft Game Studios. It released in 2006 for the PC and for the Xbox 360. It's a life simulation game as well, like Animal Crossing and Harvest Moon. It's Viva Piñata. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kate, why are you choosing Viva Piñata to take with you? I don't really know. Um, I was playing it last night, actually. Uh, I did a stream. It was very exciting. I haven't oh, done a stream. stream in ages. Yeah, Ooh. like an actual games person. Um, and I played it for two hours and I didn't do anything. I just sort of like <laughs> like meandered around my garden, just kind of looking at stuff and planting things and renaming all my animals. And like that's all I did. And it was still really satisfying. Um, Viva Piñata is a game that's somehow managed to age incredibly well. I mean, yeah. it came out for the 360 and 10 years ago 10 years really god 10 years okay ago. 2006 well, it still looks really 10 years good. ago yeah like obviously the lighting's not like incredible or anything and it might not be super sharp anymore but it's still like it's one of those stylized games so yeah. it never really looks old it just it, looks sort of timeless i guess yeah it sits it sits uh, along the sort of same uh like area as wind waker does with its mm. art style its art style is very vibrant in colors and there's no need for extreme detail everything's sort of very flat apart from like maybe the coats of the yeah. pinatas um yes but other than that everything's very flat colors very green very blue um yeah it, do, it does even looking at pictures of it now um uh, which i <laughs> am in fact doing <laughs> it does look very colorful and very timeless yeah um the only the only thing I would say with this game is that if I am going to take it to an island, can I take like a guide with me? Yes, because you can take a guide. It's quite difficult to sort of know what you're supposed to do a lot of the time. Um, <laughs> like it's it's nice sometimes just to like make a garden the way you want it, and whatever turns up turns up. You know, like a real garden. Um, but uh, with me in particular, I am trying to get what is called a donut. Which is a it's a deer, so it's dough like a deer. Okay, donut. Yeah, um, it's it's like my favorite animal in the whole of Viva Pinata, and it's because it makes these little noises. Um, all of the animals in Viva Pinata are voiced by rare staff, which I learned when I went to interview them about Viva Pinata, and so I was sitting with these two guys who'd been at Rare for ages, both really lovely. Um, and I was like, okay, I have to ask who voiced the donut because it's my favorite character and I love him. And the guy on my left was just like, yeah, that was me. And I was like, oh my God, you're like my hero. <laughs> Slightly embarrassing, but like just the fact that like meeting someone who had been behind one of like these memories from my I was going to say youth, but that sounds weird, but it was 10 years ago. So yeah, youth, why not? Um, and just being like, oh, me and my brother used to love just like when our, when our donut turned up in our garden and it just stood there making these weird little noises. And, you know, I talked to him about it a bit and I said like, well, what, what was the, what was the system behind recording noises for a deer, which it doesn't really make a noise. And they were sort of saying, 
Okay, so for some animals, you know, like a, a lion or a chicken, you kind of know what noise to make. So you go yeah. into the studio, someone goes, make a chicken noise, and you're just like, bah, 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 <laughs> and that's fine. But he was saying, like, you go into the studio and they're like, okay, so you'll be recording the voice of the deer. Can you make a deer noise? And he said, like, he just ended up doing this kind of <laughs> noise. <laughs> so, like, I'm so glad that it's a rare game because I just don't think it would have as much character and as much silliness without the team that actually worked on it. They're yeah. just such lovely people. <laughs> Was he kind of a little weirded out that you were like, I used I used to go I used to go to sleep listening to noises of your dear. <laughs> I wasn't quite that creepy. I mean, I hope I wasn't. Um, I was sort of more just. Uh, I was trying not to go heavy on the. You're trying when to play I was cool. a child, I so, used to love you. Yeah. So so who was the voice of the donut? Uh, that was me. Yeah, yeah, that that was cool. (laughs) Yeah, that would have been the cool way to do it, wouldn't it? Uh, But no, I was just sort of really excited to meet someone who'd done that. Um, It's fine. We're friends on Twitter. It's fine. Oh, he. uh, There you go. Life made. Life. (laughs) Yeah, basically. (laughs) If he listens to this, he's going to think I'm a total creep again. Uh. (laughs) Anyway, rare and lovely. (laughs) I think he'd probably be okay with it. He's like. It was worth it. Worth moving to yes. Microsoft and from Nintendo and all that sort of stuff. Worth it. Yeah. <laughs> James Bond didn't make any cute noises in GoldenEye, so... That's true. Yeah. His watch Who did, needs though. Nintendo? His watch His did. watch did? Oh, yeah, the, the like, beepy beep noises. Yeah. Boop, boop. Boop, boop. <laughs> it was a lot more high-pitched than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Viva Piñata is going with you. Um, yes. I don't like Viva Piñata at all. I'm sorry <gasps> to say. Um, it looks oh. pretty, but the game mechanics and stuff, I just never got on with. Um, but I can see why people like it. It's still such a strange, like, fair enough, making a gun with animals. That's cool. And I understand that, obviously, you don't want to be violent because the, the piñatas do die. They get attacked by other animals and that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's horrible. Um, but piñatas, instead of, like, stuffed toys or, like maybe it's just it's just very intriguing that they chose piñatas out of everything did they give a little yeah. more insight into why piñatas over anything else i think they did but i've forgotten um i mean one of the mechanics is that you can send them off to parties uh and that they have <laughs> sweets inside so that's true i don't know if that's what came first or who knows somewhere <laughs> along the line someone thought piñatas great idea and it yeah. worked <laughs> it worked it did work yeah, so that is that is an excellent choice to take with you, and it's also a game that you could potentially play for a, a very long time. A very long yeah, time. just maintaining your garden, renaming your animals. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe from Skyloft we can get you some streaming equipment so you could stream from there. Oh really? Just no wow. chat because otherwise you'll be no asking chance. for help. Okay. <laughs> you can't you can't be trying to get off this island. That's not okay. allowed. It's not oh. allowed. You okay. have to play Viva Piñata forever. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> well, we're going to move on to another life simulation game now. Um, you're a fan of life simulation games. So it, it, oh, I didn't even realize. Yeah, yeah, a lot of these. Oh, wow. It's fine. Yeah, it's absolutely fine. Um, so we're going to listen to some music from the next game, and then we're going to dive into the penultimate game on this list.
So, Kate, the next game you've chosen, and which is the second to last game for the list that you've chosen for final games, um, is the third major title in the very famous Life Simulation video game series, developed by Maxis, who are unfortunately now longer, no longer a studio, published by EA. It's this game was released in June of two thousand and nine, and it's The Sims Three. Yeah. Hey, why have you chosen The Sims Three to take with you? Uh well, I really liked The Sims One, but it's <clears throat> it's a bit simple. I really liked The Sims Two, but I think The Sims Three was better. Um, <clears throat> I've probably played this one for like four or five hundred hours. Um, Whoa, that's a lot yeah. of time. If I'm allowed to take all the expansion packs and download as many mods as I can have, then this would be an incredible game to play for the rest of forever. Um, when I was playing it, I, I tried to do a couple of interesting things because it's quite open-ended, um, as long as you're making houses and families anyway. Yeah. So my first project <clears throat> was that I was going to recreate the Greek god family tree. I, I did study classics at university. So I was like, yeah, this is my jam, you know, <clears throat> combining video games and classics. It's going to be great. I'm going to have so much fun, uh, which I did until I had to download two specific mods. One was teenage pregnancy and one was incest because <laughs> there's a lot of incest in the Greek god family tree. So I had to I had to enable incest and then I was just sort of spawning all these like weird incestuous children. And it was at that point that I was like, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> I think I should uh, step away from this. I can't even imagine yeah. the, the sort of paths you had to take to find such mods. Or were they very freely mm. available? There are some weird mods uh, on some quite respectable mod sites, you know, like the teenage pregnancy one. I can understand if you're making a story and teenage pregnancy is part of it, then, you know, that's fine. Um, but there are mods where, like, guys can get pregnant. There are mods where, um, oh, God, I'm trying to remember. What was I that think, Arnold like, Schwarzenegger film where he was pregnant? What was that? Was uh, based on that? There's a film you could... There's a film where Arnold Schwarzenegger becomes pregnant. I forget the name yeah. of it. Yeah. Ah. Okay. Well, I guess you could recreate that in The Sims if you if you, you were go. into that, recreating that is, that is niche a, That is a films. reason to download that mod. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I did that and then I was kind of like, this, this started off fun. But now it's kind of weird. There's all these teenagers, you know, having babies with their brothers and it's making me feel a bit weird. So I started something new and it actually became this huge, incredible project that I had. Um and it's weird in The Sims because your projects are just for you. Like you're not showing them off to people. Yep, it's And I kind of wish you. I had. Some people put their stories online and that's nice, but it means you have to take pictures all the time and I couldn't be bothered. Uh, <laughs> so what I did was I created a legacy, which is like a big thing in The Sims community. Uh, it's 10 generations, which is actually a lot longer than you think. And normally there's some kind of theme. So, for example, there's one called an Uglacy, which is a legacy where you start off with two of the most hideous characters you can create and you try and breed out the ugly. <laughs> um, so you just you find people in the wild and you're like, you, you are attractive. Have a baby with me. Um, there is also one where 
you just try and keep making ugly children. So there's that one as well. Um, that sounds amazing. It's quite fun, yeah. <laughs> there's also, oh, what other kinds are there? Um, I think there's there's more traditional ones where you just try and uh, get to the top of your career path in every generation, which is nice. Um, there's one, actually, there's quite a few where there's a, a predictated scenario, like an apocalypse, yeah. and you have to stick to it. So you can't, for example, use technology and you can't have certain jobs and you can only have a certain number of children and you have to sort of create a living dynasty out of these rules. Uh, that sounded a bit hard. So <laughs> what I did was I just uh, went for the theme of rainbow. So I decided to create, I think that's seven generations. Yeah. Um, the first one, the matriarch married a rich guy because I had, I think, some kind of celebrities expansion pack. So she okay. married some, like, five-star celebrity guy. Yeah. Got loads of money. Had an incredible amount of children. And those were the first generation, which... Um, this is this kind of nerdy. I named each generation after their colors. But what I did was I used uh, Latin. Because I'm a nerd. This is game So... My first two children uh, of the red generation were called uh, Radix and Rufus. Radix is the Latin for radish. Radish is a red. Uh, <laughs> and Rufus is, is just the Latin for, for red. So, yeah, I had them. Um, one of them went on to become a vampire, which is weird in a legacy because it means she's alive for every yeah, subsequent that mean, generation. That technically just means, that's like cheating, because that means that legacy just <laughs> continues on forever. I, it made a really interesting twist, because, you know, she stayed the same age, uh, and she was a bit of a rebel child. Uh, so she kept having babies with random men. And so <laughs> the family tree got really complicated, because she was still alive, and she was having all these kids, and they were technically related to the later generations in this really like obscure way. And it was fantastic, except when the game um, couldn't handle how far removed they were and they could technically get with each other again. That was it, weird. This is when you had to install the incest mod. No, 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 no. <laughs> that was long gone by this point. I was like, no, 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 no. No, um, no I, tried to, I tried to keep the family away from each other. But after a certain amount of time, like, what a legacy does is it populates an entire city. So you start just knowing everyone in town because they're your cousin or like your uncle's wife or whatever. See, so I don't know too much about The Sims, but can you then control those characters as well? Do you, uh, do you have to look after all of these people? No. Uh, so in The Sims 3, people, um, you can turn it off, but people have lives and they age when you're not controlling them. So I would be with a legacy, you pick uh, like a, a person in every generation to live. So you control them. Uh, okay. um, and then if they have three kids, you pick one of those kids. Uh, so you can either pick the oldest, you can right. pick the oldest woman, the oldest guy, you can pick the youngest, you can pick your favorite, whatever. Um, but then you take them and you create a new household. So sometimes I went and visited the other characters just because I really liked finding out what they were up to. Um, and that was always a bit weird, especially with the vampire one, because I'd go and be like, hey, what are you up to? And she'd be like, oh, I've had another kid. And I'd be like, why? Why have you done that? <laughs> You've got enough. 
So <laughs> she's like, yeah, you didn't pick really... me to control. I'll do what yeah. I want. It was really interesting because you start to actually create stories for all these characters. And if you see them around in town, you're like, oh, my God, look who it is. No way. Um, and that was really nice. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. I could um, do that forever. <laughs> it's funny because I told this I told this story before on Final Games. I think it was to Holly as well, um, coincidentally. Um, but it's amazing that you talk about stories because I had a friend who I, I've never really played The Sims, so I don't. I played like Sims One and had to mess around making a family, but I, I never truly got into The Sims, and um, it's probably something I'll never get into. But he told me that he used to really enjoy playing it, but to create like the darkest sequences he possibly could. So yeah. there was this, so there was this one where there's <laughs> just thinking about it now is killing me. So there's this one where he 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 would pick this male and he'd be like a really attractive male. So female NPCs would come and talk to him a lot, and he would get them to go on a date with him, but mm-hmm. he'd have dinner with them in in his basement. Oh, nice. and um, he would then kill. He would then paint a picture of them, mm-hmm. and then kill them. And he would then put, like, the picture on the wall as, like, a wallpaper. Uh, And then he would keep doing it. And he would keep inviting people into the basement. And they'd be coming to eat in this basement where there would just be lots and lots of pictures of lots and lots of dead NPCs on the wall. Oh, my God. And and (laughs) I'm just looking at him like, that is is horrible. And he's like, yeah, but you can do it in The Sims. So it's, like, totally fine. Um, but yeah so it seems like with the sims you can do pretty much anything yeah vampire children create creepy basement npc paintings on walls (laughs) i mean some of uh, some of my family's got quite weird like one guy went on holiday knocked up a lady brought her home and then cheated on her with a robot from the future (laughs) (laughs) see now now npc painting basements doesn't seem so bad yeah, in the end, the robot ran off with another robot, and then they adopted lots of children together. It was beautiful. So there is a future where robots can live happily together and adopt freely. Yes. But only in The Sims. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I get, every time I talk to someone about The Sims, it always does make me want to play, but then once I start playing, it's like, ah. Oh, there's so much to just wade through or like to keep on top of before the fun begins. Or That's the why I use cheats. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the mechanics get in the way of the stories you want to tell. So I'm, I'm fine with just being like, everyone's happy all the time. That's just fine. Constantly happy. That's why the vampire, yeah. that's why the vampire lady is quite happy to just keep having babies because yeah, why not? She probably thinks that's what's making her so happy. Plus, if you put um, cheats on to make everyone happy, the babies never cry. It's really creepy. Like, they're always just fine, basically. It's great. (laughs) That would be great. Maybe one day I would then like a child in my own future. That could be guaranteed to happen. Yeah. (laughs) Well, maybe next time The Sims is on sale, I'll I'll give it a go. Good. And create my own stories. But for now... (laughs) But for now, you can, you can take The Sims and you can take all the expansions and you can Yay. you can create some stories of your own in Skyloft, many, many stories, and maybe cool. put them in a bottle and then throw it off the edge of Skyloft. And maybe one of us will find it down here. 
Excellent. So I think it's about time now that we moved on to your final game. Yeah. Your final game. And it's uh one of it's I think the latest game, the most recently released game on this entire list. Oh yeah, um, I've picked a lot of old games. Whoops. Well, games within the past fifteen years or so. Yeah. Which in video games is starting to become not that old as we yeah. move on from very earlier on games. Um so we're gonna listen to some excellent music from this next game and uh, talk about it. So, Kate, the final game on your list of all these wonderful games that you're taking to Skyloft with you um, is a game I'm actually playing right now. I'm playing the expansion of it right now. Ooh. Yeah, and it's excellent. It was a game that was released last year in May, uh, 19th of May last year, a game developed and published by CD Projekt Red. It's the third game in the excellent open world RPG series, The Witcher. This game is The Witcher 3, and it's the final swan song for the excellent character Geralt, and it's just it's just bloody lovely. It's a great <laughs> game. It's an excellent game. Kate, so please, yeah. I can imagine why you're taking it, but please, for you, your own reasons, why is The Witcher 3 the last, the wild hunt, the last game you're taking with you today? Um, God, where do I start? Um, you can probably tell that my list is pretty Nintendo heavy, and even the games that aren't Nintendo like Viva Piñata and The Sims 3, are still pretty Nintendo-ish. So it's weird to have put The Witcher on there. But I am a big fan of these sort of, I never really know how to describe them, but the sort of large, open-world, story-based RPGs. So Dragon Age Inquisition as well, and Fallout 4, sort of, because Fallout 4 wasn't great. Um... And, you know, those kind of stories, I love them. I love them very much. Um, <laughs> and I didn't expect anything from The Witcher 3 when I played it. I was working at Xbox at the time. And um, so they were like, oh, we, we're going to have to have someone to be our Witcher expert. And it's either going to be you or Benny. And Benny's, uh, the guy I worked with at Xbox UK, Benny's uh, specialty was shooting games. And The Witcher is a sword game. So <laughs> yeah. 
I was like, oh, you know, it's going to have to be me, isn't it? Um, I don't know anything about it. I'll do a bit of research uh, and then we'll have a look, see if it's any good. Yeah. And then, you know, and then I played it. And God, that game. Uh, <laughs> it's... it's incredible. From the first <laughs> moment, um, it's a bit of a slow starter, let's be honest. It's sort of... it, it, it uh, at the start, it sort of goes, hey, remember all that stuff that happened in the last two games? And I'm like, no, I haven't played them, really. Tried to play the second one, but it was a bit boring. And it goes, <laughs> oh, okay. So we have a few decisions for you to make um, based on what you did in the last few games. Do you want to just make them up? And I was like, yeah, all right. So you're sitting in this bath and someone's going, okay, so what happened with blah, of blah, 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 blah. And you're like, well, I put her in jail. And he's like, oh, really? And I'm like, yeah, probably. I don't know. <laughs> and, you know, at, at that point, I was sort of going like, oh, I don't really know what's happening. And then it moves straight on into being the rest of the game. And I think the first part is when you're wandering around the area that I have forgotten the name of. But the first area, it's quite small. Um, and you meet this guy and he's like, my brother's dying or something. Meet me tonight at the hill. And I forgot about him. And I didn't meet him. And then I got this notification like, you have failed the quest. And I was like, so, <laughs> what? What? What happened? And then from that point onwards, I was paying so much attention to who I was talking to and what I was saying and when they were saying to do things. And I think it was at the point I got to the Bloody Baron quest, which I know is what everyone talks about but they talk about it with good reason. It's it's this incredibly moving and human quest that you don't expect from a game that's quite high fantasy with dragons yeah. and stuff. Um, and in a game like, for example, Dragon Age Inquisition, which is very similar, um, you'll find stories where it'll be like, oh, this person's sad, but they're sad because a dragon killed their family. And then when you go into The Witcher, it's more like this person's sad because something really human happened to them. And there's fantasy elements like a guy loses a baby and then the baby comes back to life as some kind of creepy avenging ghost or whatever. Yeah. And you have to defeat it. Yeah. And OK, that's that's high fantasy. But the story underneath a lot of The Witcher's like subplots is is just the stuff you can relate to. Um you know, it's it's people who have suffered loss or heartbreak or the main plot is about just Geralt wanting to rescue someone just because he likes her a lot. You know, he sees her as a daughter. It's not that, you know, she's a princess. Or, actually, well, she is a princess, technically. But, um... Technically, technically <laughs> she is the emperor's daughter. Yeah, I mean, I've dug myself a little bit of a hole there. But he's he's going after her partly because she's like magical or whatever but mostly it's just because like he cares about her as a father yeah it's and fatherly love for sure yeah i mean there's a lot of dad daughter love in games at the moment it's almost like developers have had babies in the past 10 years weird <laughs> isn't it um but just it was yeah it was the bloody baron quest because it was this really difficult topic that games haven't really talked about before and it ended so awfully for me like again this is going to be slightly spoilery but it's quite early on in a game that's a year old now so I hope that's okay um so the way I 
dealt with it. Everyone died. Um, the Baron's saying, rescue my wife. She's been taken by these crones. And you're like, yeah, I can rescue her. And then you go and find her. And she's like, go away. And then she died. I can't remember how something horrible happened to her. And then I went back to tell the Baron that she died and he'd hung himself. Yeah. And Geralt was just like, oh, well, whoops. Shit. And just, <laughs> I'm just going like, to carry on. <laughs> yeah, I just went on to the next quest. And I was like, oh, God. Oh my god! It's funny um, actually. It's funny you say that because I remember doing the Bloody Baron quest, and I was playing on PC, and my housemate at the time was playing on the PlayStation Four. So we were playing in two separate rooms, and we were literally going at at it at the same pace, and we were doing the same quest, and we were doing the Bloody Baron, and I finished it. And for me, it was the one where he takes her into the mountains to try and reclaim her sanity or whatever, after yeah. Geralt tells him about some sage. And I, and I thought, that's lovely, but if not a little sad, you know, sort of reconcile. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'll go see what Sean, Sean's doing in the other room and see how he's getting on. Go in there, and he's like, right, I'm going back to the, the Baron now. I was like, okay, you know, you'll be surprised by how it turns out. And he goes in there, and, oh. and the Baron's hanging himself. I was like, what? What the fuck know, is going like- on? What the... What did you do, yeah. Sean? What did you do? <laughs> yeah, it's just I, so I different. Loads of moments like that. <clears throat> like I was talking to, I think Sam White about this one quest about a horse. I think you go into like a cave and there's a woman that's inside a tree, and she's like, ah, "I'm stuck in this tree. Help me out of this tree. I promise I'm not evil." Oh yeah, and yeah, I was yeah, yeah, going, yeah. yeah, I was like you're definitely evil, but I want yeah. to see how this turns out. So I, I put her into a horse and then the horse was evil and I forget what happened to the horse, but things went wrong. And I it's, was like, that's, that's another one of the ones that sticks out for me in that one. You can either choose to kill it. You yeah. can kill the tree, which then means the crones, the, the crones are like free to do whatever the fuck they want. Um, yeah. I think, if I remember rightly, the spirit in the tree is the mother of the crones. Okay. And then if you put it in the horse, um, yeah. it then goes and murders the whole of the village. Because the yeah. village were like, please kill the tree. It's killing these children or whatever and whatnot. <laughs> so either yes. way, you either get the crones fucking eating children in the woods or you have this horse that goes and then murders a whole village. Yep. I think that's what happened. And I was like, but it was a horse. How can this happen? (laughs) But it was a bad horse. Very bad horse. And once again, Geralt, in true Geralt fashion, was just like, whoops. Oh, well, let's see what's next. (laughs) I also had the the Kira Metz quest with, uh, it's a sort of quite long uh, storyline with her that um, I think culminates in the Tower of Rats, I think it's called. Yeah. Which is another incredible standout. Absolutely. Yeah. So you go to this tower and it's it's very video gamey. You're working your way up to the tower and there's different stuff on every single floor. You get to the top and there's this sort of creepy ghost thing. And you're ghost, going, hey. Ghost lady. Ghost lady. Yeah. Yeah. She's a very nice ghost lady. And you can only sort of see her. She's sort of quite blurry and, you know, not not really a proper shape. And you're like, what's going on here? Why? What's up with you? And she's like, oh, my boyfriend tried to rescue me from this horrible thing where all the peasants came in and tried to kill everyone. And it was very bad. So the the um, alchemist gave me a potion to make me look like I was dead. But then it paralyzed me. And so rats ate me alive. And you're like, Jesus Christ, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and, you know, she 
she manages to elicit this, this like pity from you and she sort of goes all I want to do is is go back and see my wonderful boyfriend husband whenever he was and you're like yeah of course I'll help you you got eaten by rats I'm so sorry <laughs> and then you take her back to her her husband and then you go away for a bit and then you come back and then she's like she's a ghoul or a, or a wraith she's a she's just pester a, a pest yeah she's just this angry plaguey vengeful ghost yep. thing and and in, in my playthrough he died yep so i just came in and his body was on the floor and she was like Rah! and i was like oh you weren't supposed to do this <laughs> it's amazing and, yeah and then i went back out. to the tower and kira metz who's this sorceress you you bump uglies with um she was there and I was like, what are you doing here? And she's like, nothing. I'm not doing anything. And you see her putting a scroll into a pocket and you're like, Kira, what's that? And she's like, I wasn't stealing notes on necromancy. No, that would be terrible. Necromancy <laughs> is bad. And you can either go, like, you can sort of reassure her and be like, look, this is a really terrible idea. Why don't you go to Care Morin and I'll see you in a bit, okay? You don't want to get into necromancy. It's bad. Which is what I did. Or you can do what I did, yep. which looks like it does that horrible, like, telltale kind of thing of looking like you're about to say, Kira, what are you doing, you idiot? Um, you know, just like a sort of polite-ish reprimand. Yep, but, but what instead... actually happened <laughs> is Geralt called her some awful names, drew his sword and killed her. And I was just like, that's not what I wanted to do. I just wanted to tell her off. So, yeah, and then she was dead. And then I felt really bad. That was another case of me going into my housemate's uh, in in while he was playing in the living room and being like, "Yeah, oh, so Kira, what did you you know? Did you send us Kamora?" He's like, "No, I killed her. She betrayed me. Yeah, I killed her. She tricked me. Geralt is not tricked." And I'm I didn't like, mean what? to kill her though. Stop. When Geralt drew his sword, I was like, "No, no, 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 no." <laughs> and that's the one one of the times where you can't actually control your character. He's already decided yeah, he, what he's going to do. Yeah. You have to kill her. It's quite sad. Sorry, it's Kira. It's just such an excellent game, and and yeah. playing Blood and Wine now. Even though I had problems, it wouldn't install originally, so I had to rebuy it, and I essentially oh. paid for it twice. Um, oh, no, but it's worth it. It's yeah. Just playing now, just even the the first few quests, being girl again, choosing options, telling people to fuck off, and or <laughs> putting a sword through the neck and that kind of thing. Yeah, it's just great. Mm-hmm. It's just such a wonderful game and a wonderful experience, and easily one yeah. of the best RPGs available. And another two hundred and fifty hour game for sure. You yeah, can definitely. definitely spend a I lot mean, of time on a deserted island playing it. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm trying to get round to the DLC because I know everyone said it's incredible. But uh, I was like, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to complete the game first. Yeah. So that there's no kind of storylines that I feel like I have to tie up later on. Just going to complete it. And I wasn't far off. So I plowed through it and it was great. And now I'm at the final boss battle and I've done it about 10 times and I hate it and I want it to go away. It's so hard. It's really difficult. So I don't know what to do because I've auto saved like right before the boss battle. So I have to do it. I don't have a get, choice. <laughs> get someone yeah. else to do it. That might be my next plan. I'm going to have another crack at it. Um, the main problem is that when I saved, I didn't have any health potions. So 
I have to do the battle without health potions, which is a pain in the ass. You need to get someone who's good at like Dark Souls or some something to just come in and annihilate it instantaneously. Yeah, I'm not patient enough to be good at that kind of thing, so I'm going to have to get someone else. The positive upside of that is while you're trapped on a deserted floating (laughs) island in the sky, you have a lot of time to try. Yeah. um, There's no point getting frustrated because there's nothing else you can really do. Yeah, it's fun, if anything. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And then and then we can also add in the DLC as well. So yeah. you'll have the DLC to play when you finally complete it. And what, In fact, if you do get bored enough, I know with Blood and Wine, I'm not sure if the same is for Heart of Stone, uh, with Blood and Wine, you can choose to just jump straight into it. Uh, I have seen that. Yeah. yeah. You can just pick a level 35 character and just go straight into the blood and wine quests. So oh, I don't there's, know. there's always that option. <laughs> I feel like it wouldn't be my Geralt. It it, it doesn't because I'm, because I played The Witcher three on on PC. I had my Geralt. I sunk like a hundred hours into him and finished the mm-hmm. game. But then I moved to Japan, so I had to sell my PC, get a laptop. Oh. But my girlfriend bought The Witcher three for PlayStation four, so she's been playing it. But I wanted to play Blood and Wine so badly. <laughs> so I, I I bought Blood of Wine and I've been playing with a character that was instantly leveled up to thirty five and stuff. Yeah. Um. And it doesn't it doesn't feel like my girl. He he feels really weak and he he's wearing armor that I'm not used to and it feels if it does feel a little wrong like a clone Geralt. Yeah, that's my, that's weird. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. I don't recommend it if you can play through the game. And then, and then play Blood and Wine. You should, but you should experience Blood and Wine anyway. Yes, I so will. It's worth eventually. it. Eventually, yeah. You got you got loads of time. You got loads and loads of time now. Yay! <laughs> well, speaking of loads and loads of time, which mm-hmm. I think it's about time we uh, sent you off to Skyloft. Not okay. Not particularly sure how you're going to get there. Big birds. Big birds. Yeah. Yeah. I probably thematically would make sense wouldn't it really <laughs> but before i let you go um i have one last question for you and it's the last mm-hmm. question i ask every guest on the show it's if you could take any console regarding the fact that you can also play these eight games um and no other games on that console relevant to those games um thinking about the back catalog of a console as well if there was one console you could take with you what console would it be? Oh, um, I'm sure most people are choosing something sensible like the 360, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to pick the 3DS. I have loved every game I've played on the 3DS, and I think that's a great choice, and I'm very clever. <laughs> I think that is a superb choice. I think the 3DS yeah. is easily one of the best consoles ever made. Yeah, I really, and it's been really going like it. for so long. It has. I think... Hmm, I don't know whether I... Because it's backward compatible, maybe you can also have the back catalogue of Nintendo DS games as well. Because that would yeah. make it the ultimate console. It would. Both the wow, 3DS that's back like catalogue. like 10 years of gaming. Yeah, it is. It's getting, oh my God, it's like 12 years since the DS came out. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's scary. I remember yeah. spending a whole summer working just so I could buy my own Nintendo DS in school. Yeah. Oh, <sighs> so long ago. Days are fading. I am fading. And I think it's about time we send you off to your island. So, Kate, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you about all these wonderful games. Um, yeah. I hope you enjoyed it. 
I hope you don't feel too bad about being sent off to a floating island. Yeah, it's all right. It's quite pretty. That's true. It's very pretty. <laughs> but, but you know, running around it requires a stamina bar. And a very yeah, short, I can just a very short I can eat the mystery bar. fruit. That's true. You can do that as well. I, I always thought the little stamina bar looked like a lime cut into segments. Yeah. <laughs> Does look very juicy. So, <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, where can people find you and what would you like them to check out of yours? Uh, right. Well, I'm on Twitter at how not to draw. That's where I put most of my stuff. Um, you can also follow Taku podcast, which is me and Holly. It's at Taku underscore podcast on Twitter. I think you can find us on Facebook and I think we're on Tumblr and Instagram, but we don't really use them to be honest. Um, so we post most things uh, either on my personal channel or on there or on both. Um, and I don't know, I'd look out for me in games. Yeah. <laughs> I'm everywhere. Especially now you're going to be all over the place, multiple <laughs> different publications and some cooking as well. Yes. Lots of <laughs> <laughs> well, once again, thank you so much for listening to Final Games. Uh, if you enjoyed the show, you can find us on Twitter as well at Final Games Show. You can also find me talking about games, uh, mostly talking about Fire Emblem at the moment because I'm loving yeah. that game. Um, at Liam BME. You can also email the show if you want to. A lot of people have been emailing in lately uh, talking about what their eight games would be. Which is very interesting. A lot of people have been sending me their eight games. I know someone the other day was telling me that their whole, um, like a whole room in his place of work, they were all picking their own games as well mm. on the basis of this cool. show, which was amazing to hear. So that's really cool. So if you'd like to send in your eight games for any reason, you'd like to discuss what your eight games for Final Games would be, uh, you can email finalgamespodcast at gmail.com. We're on SoundCloud. Uh, you can follow us there. And we're on iTunes as well. So please rate and review because that would be super sweet. And thank you once again for listening to Final Games. And I hope to see you next week. Goodbye. <laughs>